Thank you for singing out. Now listen, I hope what Brian said doesn't mean that y'all in the back aren't singing. Because if it does, next Sunday I'm going to put all my good singers in the back and slide you this way. Young people, you too, you have a responsibility to hallelujah, to sing the praise of our God. I know that's probably not what that means. We just get the benefit of all the voices coming our way up front. But I would encourage you, like Brian said, shift up here sometime. Sit up here and experience it. And go back there with that gusto and spread it around the room. The overflow room, singing with Gus, all of us singing God's praise with vigor. He is worthy. He is worthy of that sacrifice. Let's look at Romans chapter 8 this morning. I'm going to read verses 1 through uh, 14. And then we're going to look at verses 12 to 14. Let's start with this glorious statement in verse 1. Summary of the Bible, really, we said. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin... He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Or to set the mind on the flesh is death But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then... Brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Thus far God's Word. Let's pray together. Lord, this is your word. May your spirit illuminate and apply it to our hearts. Help me to preach your word in the power of the spirit. Set me aside. May your people hear your living voice in your word and be transformed. So bless me to preach your word in the power of the spirit. Bless us to hear it as your word in the power of the spirit. Work the work that only you can do, Lord, as your word goes forth. May your word run and be glorified. May Christ be lifted high. May you draw all kinds of people to yourself. So we pray for the blessing on the preaching and the hearing of the word that it might be heard with faith. And we give it to you this time and we trust you with it. We pray it and ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Warning signs are a good thing when you're driving in your car. The wise person pays attention, close attention to the road signs. 
And many of those signs, not all, in some of them there's an implied warning, speed limit 55, implied if you don't go 55, Dan will get you. <laughs> you don't know Dan Ott's a member here and he's a state trooper. But others, like a stop sign, a sharp curve, a bridge out, they give us a warning that is needed, appropriate, something we need to see and hear. If it, Well, not hear, but maybe as we read it to ourselves, right? We hear it. Something we need to pay attention to. And a Puritan has done us a favor, and I want to point you to him this morning as we look at this text. Puritan John Owen gives us a spiritual warning sign when he deals with this text we have before us today. Here's his famous saying, Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. No neutral ground. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Much of what I'll say today, uh, some of it, not much, but some of it comes from points that he has made in that treatise. And I would encourage you to go read The Mortification of Sin in the Life of the Believer by John Owen. And I would further encourage you to get an updated language version as you read that book. And they're available. Even free PDFs that are updated in language are available. And you will be shocked at how gospel-centered it is, how Christ-centered it is, how practical it is, and how effective it is in helping the believer do what he calls mortifying sin. But he calls it mortification because that's exactly what the text calls it. See, what, what Paul convinces us of, what God convinces us of, what the cross convinces us of, is that sin is not a plaything. It's a deadly, poisonous enemy that seeks to destroy you. And it never takes a break. Dads, I want you to imagine you're sitting in your living room with your family. And suddenly, a full-grown timber rattlesnake slithers into the living room. What will be your response? I hope it won't be, oh, how cute. Maybe we can hold it. Dad, you know what your instinct would be. Whether it be your boot or the closest weapon, you would be as fast as you could to destroy that poisonous snake before it bites your kids or your wife or yourself. Kill it. Don't pet it. Don't put up with it. Don't assume that it won't hurt you and seek to play with it. Kill it. There's danger that needs to be killed. And that's why I entitled this sermon today, Kill or Be Killed. Yes, after John Owen and what he says, but he's just really summarizing what this passage teaches. That sin is a deadly enemy. And we've seen that as we've, we've been studying the book of Romans. The, the place that Paul starts is universal sin and need for a Savior in both Jew and Gentile. Sin is the way of death. Condemnation, judgment, rejection. Jews and Gentiles need a Savior. And praise God there is one. And so we get into chapter 3 and we see Christ Jesus as that Savior and that we are justified by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Meaning we are pardoned for all of our sins and treated as righteous in His sight because our, we've been cleansed by His sacrifice and clothed. Our record is populated with His righteousness now. Adopted into His family. So we talked about justification from chapter 3 up through chapter 5. In chapter 6 we started talking about sanctification or growth in grace. The soul that God justifies, He sanctifies. The child that He adopts, He purifies, right? He cleanses. 
And we've got us a nice theology of sanctification in the first verses of of chapter 6, first 11 verses, ending with um, that you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. In other words, not dead to its presence yet. Yes, but we're dead to its rule. Sin no longer rules over us. We're alive to the rule of God over us now. We're no longer slaves to sin, though we once were. The law can't condemn us because it condemned Christ. It shows us what a righteous life looks like. And the new heart delights in that law and grieves because it falls short of perfect obedience. And then in chapter 8 is where we get that glorious statement, no condemnation for those in Christ because Christ took that condemnation. So we have a legal declaration, we have justification, but we also have sanctification and the power of the Spirit. He didn't leave us at the end of chapter 7 where there's this sort of stalemate between the new nature and, and the flesh, a place where sin remains. But now we're talking about life in the Spirit and He's describing for us what it means to live according to the Spirit, what it means to be a child of God. And he's been contrasting what the early church contrasted, the way of death with the way of life, the way of light with the way of darkness, the way of being lost with the way of being a child of God or being saved. Like we either are walking according to the flesh or according to the Spirit. And that's what we've been looking at. And I'll point you back to those sermons. But today in verses 12 to 14, kill or be killed. Put sin to death. Here's the main point we'll we'll see simplified. Since living according to the flesh brings death to the soul, embrace living according to the spirit and bring death to sin. First point, look back in verse 12. Living according to the flesh brings death to the soul. And we've already seen if we're a child of God, we're not in the flesh anymore. We're in the Spirit because every child of God has the Holy Spirit permanently indwelling them. Lives under a status of no condemnation and the power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is ours. So I've summarized it this way. In Christ we have no condemnation and no excuses. We have the life before us that He's called us to live. And He's growingly setting us free so that when we're glorified, that righteous requirement of the law in verse 4 will be perfectly met in us because of Christ's work. We are on the way now. And being on the way means putting to death the remnant of sin. Look back in verse 12. It's kind of a conclusion statement. So then, since immediately following that, He says... I mean, immediately preceding, he said, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and He does, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit that dwells in you. So then, brothers, your translation may say brothers, some may say brethren. Brethren's probably better because this is an inclusive statement of the church, male and female, all the church members. So then, brothers, look at the Christian's obligation. Being a child of God, being saved, being in Christ, being forgiven, being clothed in His righteousness, and being empowered by His Spirit. Paul is going to give us what we're not as well as what we are. He does that a lot. He gives the negative and then the positive. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We are not debtors to the flesh and he starts there and we'll start there we're not debtors to live according to the flesh what does it mean to live according to the flesh we've been thinking about that we've been looking at that and we saw that that comes from a mindset a mind that is set on the flesh well what does it mean to have our minds set somewhere when we have our minds set on something, we make that thing the object of our attention, the object of our desire, and the object of our pursuit. So if, we're, if our minds are set on the flesh, we're looking at ourselves and to see what, what we desire, where, what we feel like, what we want to do. My greatest goal is to make me happy when I'm walking in the flesh. 
and to make myself happy in the ways of the world. So to set my mind on the flesh is to make it my object of my attention, desire, and pursuit. Is to, is to indulge the desires of the flesh. Is to walk in what the flesh desires. To focus what, on what pleases the flesh. So listen, if we're walking according to the flesh, and you see so many people in our culture manifesting evidence and fruit of this, our highest priority is going to be on nurturing and protecting and obeying the desires and demands and feelings of the flesh. Our spiritual or unspiritual MAPS program, if we remember this previous sermon, we're going to be obeying those commands that come at us from the flesh. Focused on pleasing ourselves. Enjoying sin. Brothers, he says... Our debt is not to the indulgence of the flesh. This might seem like or feel like the right way to go, right? Everybody's living by their feelings these days. And it feels right to, to, you know, to go in a particular way. And there may even be, the Scripture says, pleasure in sin for a season. It might seem like all is well. I've gone my own way and everything is well. But the end is not well. Proverbs 14, 12, There is a way that seems right to a man, woman, boy, and girl, to a person, but its end is the way of death. To the one who's walking according to the flesh, that path seems like the right way to go. And it's not good news if you can be comfortable in rebellion against God. If you can enjoy sin and not be convicted about it and not be free from it. That might feel good to you, but that is not good news because God has given you over to go your own way. And that is not where you want to be. Look what Paul, the reason Paul gives. He said, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Now watch this. He explains, for if you live according to the flesh. Literally, I, I like the, the, the NAS better and some other translations better here because it's bringing out the present tense. If you are living according to the flesh, that continual action, you will die. And, and yes, it's true. We'll all experience physical death in this life because sin and, and the fall and, 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 and all of that is true in this world. But this is going beyond that physical death. And when Proverbs 14, 12 says the end is death, it's talking about spiritual death. It's talking about separation from God. It's talking about condemnation. You might enjoy your sinful life here while you live here. And I hope that you can't live it without being convicted and coming to Christ. And you may have all the riches and all the comforts and none of that means God is pleased with you. Some of the richest people alive are the most wicked. Just have more power to exert it. Now there's some righteous rich people too. And the, the problem is not in the riches. It's in the heart. But Paul is saying, if we go all the way to the end, living according to the flesh, we're going to stand before God one day and give an answer for every single one of our sins and violations of His holy law, and we will answer to that righteous, almighty judge and be condemned. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sins shall die. Separation from God. Wrath. Hell, it's not what you want. Don't, be, don't let your biggest barometer of how things are going be whether or not you're enjoying things here. Be, be whether or not it glorifies God. Whether or not it's in His moral will for you. All have sinned. Paul has already told us we've seen this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And listen to me. That includes you. None is righteous. No, not one. We saw in chapter 3. 
all need a Savior. And the law shuts our mouth when we understand it. God's commandments, you know, we see that we've broken them so that we see that we can't answer for ourselves. We see that we need a Savior. If we're seeing, if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. We all deserve condemnation. And we've seen earlier in chapter chapter 8, the way that God dealt with that is He sent His Son as the mediator, as the God-man who would come and save His people. Jesus came to save the people given to Him before the foundation of the world. Jesus came to accomplish our redemption. He lived under His own law to fulfill all righteousness. The perfect, spotless, pure Lamb of God who deserved only blessing took our guilt upon Himself and bore our condemnation. He died. The Scripture summarizes it. It's such a summary. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. And He was raised the third day victorious, proving it's all true. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Rest your hope in Him. Rest all of your hope in the grace to come in Christ, Peter would say. And then from that standing, be holy as He is holy. Beware of an evil, unbelieving heart that causes you to depart from the living God. Here's something that will grab your Attention, maybe. Thomas Goodwin, another Puritan, said this, and just mere statement pointing it out. Judas heard all of Jesus' sermons. Judas heard all of Jesus' sermons, but Judas was walking according to the flesh, and he never repented of that, and he reaped the reward which Paul is pointing us to. See, this is where sin wants to take you to destruction and to death and to eternal death. That's what that snake... And listen, sin is far worse than a timber rattler. Far worse than the most poisonous snake on the planet. It's a deadly danger that wants to destroy you. It's deceptive and it presents itself as though it's going to be some glorious payoff when you indulge in it. And of course you know it never satisfies fully. There's pleasure in sin for a season, but the end of it is death. So you see, and we've talked about life according to the flesh, and I'll I'll let that be good enough for that this morning. But you can see the deceptive, deadly nature of sin. But that's not the end of the story. There's a flip. There's another side. Living according to the Spirit brings death to sin. Why do you have the Holy Spirit? What is His purpose in your life? I don't know, y'all may not have been here. It's not to make sparks fly out of your hair or you to dance and act crazy or do other. It's that you might be holy. Holy Spirit making His people holy. What do I mean? Making us more and more like Jesus. That's the power and presence of the Spirit. That's what He's up to. So back to verse 12, we are, we, are, we are obligated, we are debtors, and He's told us not to the flesh, and now we'll look at, but, but according to walk according to the Spirit. That's our obligation, since there's no condemnation, and we have the power of the Spirit, and the Spirit is giving us life that we might growingly walk in the commands of God. No, we're not perfect. I've told you all before, don't look for perfection in this life, look for growth. Sanctification is growth. Glorification is perfection when the work is finished. Are you growing in grace? Love Jesus more today than you did yesterday. Walk in more faithfully with Him today than you did yesterday. Hating sin more than you hated it yesterday. And loving righteousness more than you loved it yesterday. Because He's at work in you through His Word. Look what He says. He's contrasting now. In the middle of verse 13, there's a but. Drawing a strong contrast. But... If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, I'm going I'm to point you to some translations other than the ESV this morning on this verse as well. Read it this way. If by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body. 
See that continual, it's not just a, you know, okay, I've got the Holy Spirit, boom, sin, you're dead, we're done. I'll never have to deal with it. This is not teaching perfectionism in this life. This is teaching growth in grace. If by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body. If you make notes in your Bible, that's a good one to make, so you remember it next time. If by the Spirit, if you are walking according to the Spirit, if you're walking in the Spirit, you will if you have the Spirit. You'll set your mind on the Spirit. See, we've already seen that, but I'm just reviewing it. So I'll set, if, I'm, if I have the Spirit and He's in me and he's, he's, His work of grace is taking place so that I hate sin and love righteousness and I'm turning from sin to righteousness, He will do this in me. He will make my focus be Him and His desire instead of the flesh and his, its desire. My priority now will be focusing on the Spirit's desire and seeking to walk in that. So to make the Spirit, the, to have the mindset of the Spirit and therefore to walk according to the Spirit is to make the Spirit the object of my attention, of my desire, and my pursuit. I'll set my mind on the Spirit and make the desire of the Spirit the object of my de- attention, desire, and pursuit. If my mind is set on the Spirit, my ma- here's the point, my main fo- focus will be pleasing the Spirit. How do I know how to please the Spirit of the living God? Well, let's see. God, show me how to please you. And then you wait to hear a voice. And that voice will say, Read your Bible. (laughs) You want to hear God speak to you? Read your Bible. You want to hear God speak out loud to you? Read it out loud. The days of direct authoritative revelation are over. So the way I focus my mind on the Spirit and my mind on what the Spirit desires is to focus it on the Word He inspired that is sufficient, that through it I have everything necessary for life and godliness because this is what the Spirit is going to bless to transform me. And see, some in the church are pointing you in every other direction than the Word of God these days. And that's the sleight of hand of the evil one to get you out of the Word of God so that you won't walk according to the Spirit and you'll be taken captive. And you'll think the purpose for the Spirit is to have all sorts of... Let me just say showy this week. All sorts of showy things going on. But how we walk into the, according to the Spirit is to walk according to the Word of God, is to look into the Word of God, see what He calls us to do, and pursue that while depending upon the power of the Holy Spirit to enable me to do it and grow me in it. See, this is more definition of what it looks like to walk according to the Spirit. Walking according to the Spirit is by the Spirit, by His power and His control, putting sins to death, putting the deeds of the body to death. And that's evidence that you have true life. Deeds of the body are those actions that flow from the desires of the flesh. They're sin. There's a lot of different ways to to say it. Walking in the Spirit is putting sin to death because we hate it. See, that's, that's the question to answer, ask yourself. Especially this, this area over here that you kind of nurture, that you treat like a puppy, that you want to not be open with God about. This thing that you know is wrong, but you enjoy it. See, we, we all have what the Puritans call besetting sins. We all have particular places where we tend to stumble, and sometimes we sort to wall those off and defend them and make them okay. But if God's Spirit's at work in you, He will work in you hatred for that thing and all other sin. And so that's the first question to ask yourself. Do I have the Holy Spirit, comma, do I hate sin? Do I hate sin? And one of the reasons we claim to be trying to get free from it but we're not able to is we don't hate it. Al Martin said, we've cut our right hand off but we hadn't cast it from us.
whatever other show you might have going on, if, if this is not going on in your life, you're not walking in the Spirit. Because walking in the Spirit is putting sin to death because we hate it and there's not all. Flip. And we love the Lord. See, that's why we want to be free. We hate it now. We've, we've, we've repented. God's changed our moral compass. He's given us a new heart such as that heart that used to love sin now hates it, has turned towards God, received Christ as its Savior, and is seeking to follow Him. Yes, we fail, but we run to the throne of grace. We grieve over it because we hate it and we don't want to walk in it and it's offended Him. And so we run and He promises forgiveness and restoration. This is the Christ-centered life. This is the Spirit-filled life. This is what He has for us. Victory, growing victory over sin. Colossians puts it this way, and I'll let you go read uh, the early part of chapter 3. But basically, because of our union with Christ, having our minds set on Him, and that's not different than the mindset of the Spirit, one God. Now look what he says in verse 5. In Put to death, therefore, therefore, since you are in Christ and you have all of these riches in Christ, forgiveness, power, new heart, the Word of God, focus on Him and His grace and therefore put to death. He says it a little differently here, but he means the same thing. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. What do you mean? Well, that's the deeds of the body. And thankfully, he gives us a little bit of a list. Put to death sexual immorality. Sexual morality is one man and one woman married enjoying intimacy together. Everything else is sexual immorality. Look at this. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. And all of these things start in the heart. And it says this in verse 6. You want to follow this path? Look at verse 6. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Paul's promise at the end of verse 13 in Romans 8. If you, by the Spirit, are putting, notice the present tense, are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You have life. You're in the way of life. You have eternal life. We get it when we believe in Christ and it manifests itself in following Christ. And the way we follow Christ is to turn from sin and pursue righteousness and to grow in that. There's no spot and no way when you'll ever hit a perfection place in this life. So there's a lot of theology that will lead you astray that way. But you should always and ever be growing in grace, growing in hatred of sin, growing in putting it to death. And whatever sin you're struggling with, and I don't care what sin it is, you can repent of it. You can repent of it. You're not stuck in it. You might need help. But the God that calls you to repentance gives you everything necessary to repent if you'll do it His way. We want to whine and moan and complain. I'm, a, I'm an addict. I can't do anything. To... Stop that. Get the worldly terminology out of this. God calls us to repentance and He empowers us to repent. That's, I mean, that is the whole point of these chapters. He's given us everything we need to repent. And if you are recognizing your sin and grieving over your sin because you hate it and you're going to God and you're confessing it and asking for power to walk in a new way, that's a sign that the Spirit is at work in you. Because you can have cheap grace and you can get frustrated when you sin and it messes something up in your life and I'm sorry, forgive me, and you just keep walking the same way. That's not grace. That's presumption. Do you hate it? Do you want to be free from it? Are you depending upon the Spirit? Are you putting it to death through the Word of God? Paul says that's walking in the Spirit. And if that's your walk, you have life, eternal life. If God is at work in you in that way, you're in the way of life. That's what it means. Look, this is, verse 14 is one of those verses we yank out of context. 
But look what it's talking about. Four, connecting it to what I just said. For all, He's describing in a little different way what he's just said about those who put sin to death. For all who are led by the Spirit are of God are the sons of God. That's the same thing as saying in a different way. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You'll live because you're sons of God. To be led by the Spirit is to be empowered and directed through the Word of God to repent of our sin and walk in righteousness and to grow in it. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. That's why it's here in Romans chapter 8 and not in a fortune cookie. In isolation. You want to know if you're being led by the Spirit? Are you living a life of repentance? Like Martin Luther and others have said, the Christian life is a life of repentance. We begin repentance and faith when we come to Christ and then we live in it until He comes or we, we die or he, and we're glorified. Every day you live will be a life in Christ of repentance and faith, of turning and trusting, of putting sin to death by the power of the Spirit. When we put something to death, it no longer functions. And it's eternal vigilance as we're seeking to do that. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. Listen, again, I'll point you back to... Uh, go, in, go read the Sermon on the Mount, especially in chapter 7, where Jesus says this, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and repeating His name is a claim of intimacy. Didn't we do all these fancy things in Your name? We cast out demons in Your name. We did many mighty works in Your name. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. What is the evidence of that? You workers of lawlessness. Although you did all this fiery religious stuff, you were walking according to the flesh. You were in the way of death, even in a religious clothes. Walking in the Spirit. Being in Christ. Being part of God's church. Be, really. Being His people, adopted into His family, brings these things along with it. No condemnation, but power of the Spirit. No, no excuses. Growth in grace. Growth in grace. So notice the contrast. In this life, you have a choice. You can indulge the flesh and die, or indulge the Spirit and live. And the way you indulge the Spirit is to trust Christ. Repent and trust Christ. Receive Him as your hope for salvation. Believe Him when He says who you are. Cleansed from your sin. Clothed in His righteousness. Empowered by His Spirit. You have a new heart now. A new heart that hates sin and loves righteousness. That grieves over its sin and seeks to walk with Jesus. Which way are you in? Really? I mean, are you just religious but still walking according to the flesh? Or are you in the way of life, struggling, yes, wanting to be more free, wanting to be glorified, grieving when you fail, but growing in grace? Would those around you say that about you? That you're growing in grace. Not that you're perfectly not grumpy anymore, but you're less grumpy than you were. Not that you don't ever slip in gossip, but you're certainly not doing it on purpose and you're less a gossiper than you were. You treat your wife like she's cherished and adored in your home. You don't act differently in your home than you do in church. You love and honor Christ by loving and honoring your wife in your home and vice versa, loving and respecting your husband, obeying your parents, however that command, the commandments apply. So listen, this verse is pretty straightforward. There's two ways of life. One is walking according to the flesh which leads to death. One is, is by the Spirit putting sin to death and being in the way of life. Uh, it says being led by the Spirit. That's what it means. Those who are the sons of God. And this is, we're still really big picture in chapter 8. We're going to get to chapter 12 and get much more detail with sin and righteousness and what our lives should look like. But I didn't want to just leave you here today. 
So I wanted to at least do a little bit, and, and Owen does this, and I, uh, some of this comes from him, and you can read far more if you read Mortification of Sin in the Life of the Believer. But let me, let me just ask and answer a question and maybe give you some practical tips that, that are, are helpful um, and before we close. How do we put sin to death? Practically speaking, believing all this and seeking to apply it, what should that look like in my life? And, and again, this is big picture, which would apply to any sin that you're, you're focused on. You need two things, really three things. You need a gospel motive. You need gospel motives to really put sin to death. You need gospel means to really put sin to death. And you need gospel methods. You need to be submissive to that work of God's grace where He is sanctifying you. It's, it's His work. So first, let's start off with gospel motives. Let me, let me give you a sentence and then try to break that open. The first thing I want to say to you is let humiliation fuel your dedication. Let humiliation fuel your dedication. And I know that sounds strange right now. What do I mean? Here's what I mean. Embracing Christ's humiliation for me will change me. Embracing Christ's humiliation for me will make me a sin killer. Christ was willingly and joyfully humiliated in order that I might be glorified. He was humiliated in His birth leaving the throne of heaven to be born in a stable. Man of sorrows, we sung it. What a name. He was humiliated in His life. Being made in the likeness of sinful flesh. Rejected. Mocked belittled, ignored, betrayed. He was humiliated in His suffering. The, the most horrible physical death He could probably die on a cross. And yet that physical suffering pales in comparison to what he really sweat blood because of, that he was facing the wrath of God. He was going to take our hell upon himself. Because he was God and man, he could drink that cup dry on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Scripture. Dying for our sin. Taking our hell upon himself. He was humiliated in his death. Didn't even own a grave. But was given one. And buried. He was humiliated in his burial. Having been opposed and mocked and rejected and judged and condemned and suffering the wrath of God, all out of love for the Father and love for His people, bring it all the way down to you. Love for me. Love for you caused him to go through that horrible humiliation in order that me, that we, that us, that we might be forgiven. And he was raised. See, that, was the, that grave was the end of his humiliation. He was raised in glory on the third day. He stayed with his apostles for over 40 days giving them sufficient proof and, and education. And He ascended to the right hand of the position of power and He's reigning in heaven now for His church to take this message to the ends of the earth. See, He was humiliated that I might be justified, that I might be sanctified, that I might be glorified. He intercedes right now for me and you. Just like He prayed for Peter that his faith wouldn't fail praying for us 
and interceding for us. He loved me first in this glorious way. He loved us first in this glorious way. He was humiliated for you. And in doing so, He purchased you for Himself. It's no wonder why Paul says, if anyone doesn't love the Lord Jesus Christ, let them be accursed. Because understanding the gospel, that's what it's going to do, is make me love Him. His humiliation flowed out of His devotion so that our devotion might be expressed in discipleship or following Him. And if I love Him, I want to slay everything that slayed Him. I will be willing to take the hard road behind Him to glory. If I love Him, I will be stalking, stalking sin and killing it. Where is it? Just like that snake, if it got away in your house. Well, my wife would escort us outside and we'd burn the house down. But, <laughs> but if that snake was loose in your house, you would stalk it until you found it and you would kill it. Grace makes you a sin stalker, makes you a sin killer. And by the power of the Spirit through the Word of God, you would put it to death. See, repentance is a change of moral and spiritual attitude towards God that is demonstrated by a change of action. Looking to Christ is what changes our hearts. Our gospel motive for purity and growing in it should be love for Jesus. What is our gospel means? Well, they're the means of grace. They're the things God has provided to grow us in grace. We're not going to be smarter than God and try to do it a different way. We're going to look to the paths He's called us to walk. We're going to look to the things He's promised to bless. And what we mean by the means of grace is God's appointed instruments by which the Holy Spirit enables believers to receive Christ and the benefits of His redemption. They're given to strengthen our faith and grow us in grace. They are those things through which... Listen to me. Maybe this will put a little bit of different spin on it for you. The means of grace are these, those things through which God has promised to draw near to us in a special way to draw near to us and strengthen us and grow us and empower us and work in us, putting sin to death. These are the things He's promised to draw near to us in a special way and blessed to make us more like Jesus. James says this in 4.8, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. For what reason? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So what are the means of grace? Private prayer and reading of the Word. Yes. Yes. But that's not the primary means of grace. Listen to me. The Lord's Day has fallen on hard times in these times. We don't prioritize the Lord's Day like we should. If we did, we wouldn't be off playing sports instead of being in worship on the Lord's Day. Right? I know it requires sacrifice, and I know kids, you don't want to hear that, and I know your friends in the league, and they practice on Sunday, and they play on Sunday, and it's okay, I'll just, I'll just do my private Bible reading and my private prayer, and God will understand. No, it's His day because it belongs to Him, and He calls us to worship Him on His day because, listen to me, His day is the primary means of grace. His word preached in that day is the primary means of grace. And there's something special happening when you are sitting with your brothers and sisters around the throne of God worshiping and His Word is going forth. Now it's a blessing to listen to recorded sermons, but I'm telling you not the same thing is going on when you're listening to a recorded. It's a blessing. It's a, it'll grow you. There's nothing like being together in God's presence. The Lord's Day, the Lord's Word on the Lord's Day being proclaimed is the primary means of grace. He prioritizes it. So we should prioritize that. Listen, I know if you're a policeman or a nurse or something and you have, I understand. But even then, as much as you possibly can, get accommodation from your employer and substitutions. The Lord's Day should be more important than your vacation. 
The Lord's Day, the Word preached as the primary means of grace. The means of grace, prayer, His Word, worship, baptism, Lord's Supper. Did you know baptism? You might not think that of Lord's Supper. But even baptism is, is a means of grace through which you grow as well as the person being baptized. It's another presentation of the gospel. By God's grace, out of love for Him and not because the preacher told you to, be with God's people on God's day to be under His Word and ministered to by His Spirit and grown in grace. So gospel means are God's means. Primary prayer in the Word. Second, you know, worship as I've laid it out. And here's a gospel method. I wasn't sure I'd have time to do this and I will have to do it quickly. But this, this is some of the suggestions that come from Owen. This is not all of them. But here's a few practical suggestions. Look at me. Let's start here. See sin as dangerous, disgusting, and deadly. Sin dishonors God. Sin put Jesus on the cross. Sin always yields bad fruit, the fruit of rebellion. Sin unchallenged grows stronger, not weaker. Sin unaddressed leads to death. Sin is a dangerous, disgusting, and deadly enemy. Thomas Brooks says this, Every sin strikes at the honor of God, the being of God, the glory of God, the heart of Christ, the joy of the Spirit, and the peace of man's conscience. Every sin. So see it as the deadly enemy that it is. Number two, examine your heart. Do you earnestly desire deliverance? Or is your sin more like that cute puppy that you seek to pet and control? Well, it's not a cute puppy. And it will take you farther than you want to go and cause you more, cost you more than you want to spend. Do you desire deliverance? Do you hate sin? That's what I was asking us earlier. Ask yourself, ask God to search you. Do I really, really hate sin and want to be free from it? Because God's grace, real grace, grace that is in Christ Jesus, produces hatred of sin and desire for deliverance. Here's a third one. I have trouble with this one with people sometimes. Avoid occasions that incite sin. If we want to stop sinning, we must avoid the slippery places that promote our fall. Owen says... I've had people tell me my greatest time of weakness is when I am at night before I go to sleep when I'm in my bed with my phone. Now you might guess what I said. And the implication is what I won't do is God to zap me so that I won't do that. It's really kind of simple on the surface of it. I mean, we, we need to get into love for Jesus. Don't take your phone to bed with you. Pray. Read the Word instead. Remove the stumbling block. Not just cut your right hand off, but cast it from you. Make it impossible. Listen, kids especially, but adults too, all of us, we'll sit in a restaurant and not talk to one another and look at these stupid things. That phone is not your life. You'd be just fine without it. You'd probably be better off in a lot of ways without it. Whatever the major avenue for your stumbling is, avoid it. And cry out to God and ask for help and growth and devotion. If, you're, if, you're, if you walk to work and every day as you're walking past the bakery, you, you go in and eat 12 donuts and you just can't help it, walk another way. It's not rocket science. But pray and remember the gospel so that you're walking another way out of love for Jesus. Obedience will cost you something. Obedience will be uncomfortable sometimes, inconvenient sometimes. But if you love Jesus, it won't matter. Four, address sin's first signs. Kill it early while it's in the heart. Uh, Martin Luther says you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can prevent them from making a nest in your hair. In other words, temptations are going to come, but you don't have to indulge them. All sin starts in the heart. 
And if it's not killed there, it will express itself in the life and the deeds of the body. And if that's the pattern of life, it might mean I'm in the way of death and not in the way of life. But keep, uh, people have said it this way, keep a short account. When you're tempted, reject it, confess it, run to the throne of grace. Listen, if, you're, if one of your struggles are the magazines in the, in the grocery store, which that's not as big a deal as it used to be, right? Because now it's much more easy to access. Send somebody else to the grocery store. Walk on an aisle that don't have them. Focus on being a witness. And, uh, but address sin early. Now here, number five, regularly, daily meditate on God's glory and His grace in Christ. So you're replacing that muttering over all these other things with a rejoicing in God's glory and grace for you in Christ Jesus. And that's, I'll just flip you back to what I said previously. Let humiliation fuel your devotion. Let Christ's humiliation produce love in you that causes you by the Spirit with the Word to put sin to death. Number six, depend upon the power of the Spirit. That's what Paul is teaching us. Trust. Hey, look at me. If you're a Christian, trust that you have the Holy Spirit. All of the Holy Spirit permanently indwelling you. You are the temple of God. You're not a second class citizen in the Christian world. And you are able by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body. That's what he says. So pray into it. Lord, empower me by your Spirit to to put off, not just put off, and put on. Put off sin, put on righteousness. Help me, empower me. I'm trusting you to do that. I do this every Sunday. If that door's locked on that office, it might be me in there going, God, I can't do this. You must do this. So cleanse me from my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Empower me to preach your word and use your word in your people's lives. Pray into it. Believe it. You have the Holy Spirit. Trust Him to empower you. Believe the word. Walk in it. And He will do His work. So that's my next point. Submit to the control, to His control in His Word. Pursue the will of God revealed in the Word of God and He will empower you to grow in His grace. Pursue the will of God revealed in the Word of God and He will empower you to grow in His grace. The Spirit works in God's child a life of growing, joyful repentance out of love for Jesus. Look, I'll end with our definition of repentance. But the Shorter Catechism number 87, here it is. What is repentance? Notice it says unto life. Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner... Now watch this. This is what describes repentance. Out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ... Now this this can describe initial salvation as well as ongoing salvation. We're constantly being reminded of that mercy, trusting Jesus whereby a sinner out of true sense of his sin, in other words, we see it as sin, we, want it, we, 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 we feel the weight of it, we're convicted by it, and we look to Christ for mercy. Does or doth, but new language does, real language, modern language, not real language. Look what, what happens. Watch this, the grief and hatred part. With grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it, not just to make life easier, not because it was inconvenient, but because we hate it with grief and hatred of his sin, does turn from it unto God with full purpose of and an endeavor or a striving after new obedience. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you're in the way of life, you will live. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Christ's sheep take seriously the deadly nature of this sin, this snake, and seek to put it to death by the power of the Spirit. This is walking according to the Spirit. This is following after the Lord Jesus Christ. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy. Help us. May Your Spirit take Your Word Illumine it to our hearts. Apply it to our hearts. Make it weighty in our hearts. May you search us and try us and know us and see if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Give us the courage 
to go before you and ask you, what way am I in? Am I in the way of death? Am I indulging and walking according to the flesh, loving and enjoying sin? Yes, I want to go to heaven, but I want to have that too. Or am I in the way of life, confident of the power of the Spirit in me, hating sin, grieving over it, seeking to turn in your strength and walk in the righteousness that you call us to through your word, your law, and imitation of Christ. Lord, convert those who don't know you. Maybe they even think they do. Sanctify those of us who do. Give us a a renewed sense of a true and godly fear of you, a true and godly hatred of sin, a true and godly love of Jesus and desire Lord, to follow you. Help us, Lord, as we've seen in your word today, to, by the Spirit, be putting to death the deeds of the body out of love for you. Christ, may your humiliation for us fuel our devotion. Have mercy, Lord. It's in Jesus' name.